And here we go. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports, February 28th, 2017. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Tuesday evening, last day of February. Spring training has started, started early this year because of the World Baseball Classic. So baseball will be just around the corner. NBA winding down last quarter here of the season. Knicks, of course, a disaster. What else is new? Other teams jockeying for position. NBA trading deadline came and went without uh, a lot of, no, certainly no blockbuster trades were made. A couple of, you know, I guess the big piece was DeMarcus Cousins getting traded from Sacramento. We'll get into that mess in a little while. Vlade Divac, the GM, former, former very good NBA player, Vlade Divac, GM, now current GM for the Sacramento Kings. And it's interesting. So, you know, we'll get right to it. The NBA is, you know, we've seen this for a long time now. You've had, you know, Jerry West was a great player, Hall of Fame player, championship player for Lakers teams. He's a great college player, West Virginia. Just a phenomenal player and was a very good executive while with the Lakers. Um, You've seen other less successful experiments uh, Isaiah Thomas comes to mind uh, with the Knicks and pretty much everything he touched as an executive ruined the CBA. And when I say CBA, I don't mean the collective bargaining agreement. I mean the Continental Basketball Association, which acted as a, another outpost, another professional venue for players that weren't quite good enough to make the NBA. And as a matter of fact, that's where Phil Jackson got his start as a coach, I believe, for the Albany Patroons. So Isaiah Thomas was a colossal failure as an executive and a coach. Pretty much anything he touched, he was awful, awful. Great player, horrendous in everything else, and that includes as an announcer. Um, Phil Jackson, as we've seen, uh, has been terrible as an executive. You know, and now you've got Magic Johnson running uh, the Lakers, uh, the most sort of obvious move ever when Jeannie Buss, Phil Jackson's now (laughs) ex-fiance. Well, you can't make this stuff up, can you? Anyway, uh, his, the daughter of Dr. Jerry Buss, who was the original, who was the most recent owner of the Lakers, who recently passed away a couple of years ago, uh, his son took over, gave himself a three-year mandate. Well, I guess this was year three. Now the Lakers are uh, mired in last place. Uh, Their division in the Western Conference are a horror show, uh, even though they've been drafting in the top 10 for the last, what, three years? D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, uh, trying to think, who are the kid from Duke, Ingram, I mean, you know, all these high draft picks, and they're, you know, they hired Luke Walton, who everybody was excited about as a coach, a lot of Knicks fans, and myself included, wanted Luke Walton to be the coach, and he certainly hasn't made any impact on that team so far, first year. But, you know, they've got a lot of good young players, or supposedly good young players, and they're terrible. And so she hired Magic Johnson as a consultant. Everybody knew it was the most obvious thing in the world that Magic was in there for a power play. And about a week later, surprise, surprise, Jim Buss out. Mitch Kupchak had been there with in the, some, some way, shape, or form in that front office. And I think he was assistant to Jerry West for a while. Uh, and been running the show recently probably for the last 10 years, out. 
Um, and now Magic in. Uh, Rob Palinka in as GM. Magic in, I guess, is, is president of basketball operations. Zero experience, by the way. But he's Magic. Probably the most recognizable Laker of all time. Maybe not the best. One of them. I think you'd have to say either Wilt or Kareem were the best Lakers of all time. Magic's right up there. I mean, tremendous player. Transcendent talent. Uh, but no experience running a basketball team. And as we've seen with Phil Jackson, you know, the cult of personality isn't necessarily just enough to run the team because there's a lot of day-to-day, daily grind stuff that goes along with running a sports team, be it football, the, you know, the Lions are the most famous terrible experiment with somebody who is a personality and Matt Millen, former player and was an announcer and we all saw how that worked out. And now San Francisco, by the way, is trying to do the same thing with John Lynch. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of day-to-day stuff that, you know, Magic Johnson's going to go scout people? No. Uh, at least I don't think so. I mean, Magic Johnson is an extremely successful business person. Right? He's got all those movie theaters. And, I mean, he, he's... I'm not saying Magic Johnson doesn't have business acumen. He clearly has shown that he does. But does he, he want to run an NBA team? I mean, obviously he wants to run an NBA team. Does he know what that exactly what that entails? And how you build a staff? We'll find out. And so you've got Vlade Divac running the Sacramento Kings. Again, former player... No real front office experience. Trades DeMarcus Cousins, their best player, who, listen, DeMarcus Cousins is a handful. Leads the league in technical fouls, 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 coachable. The team's not any good. You know, it's a, it's a, I guess it is, a, it's been a long time, but remember when Sacramento, when, when Rick Adelman was the coach and Chris Weber in his prime? And um, Mike Bibby at point guard. I mean, they, that, that was those teams were good. They should have beaten the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals that year when Kobe uh, Bryant forearm shivered. I forget who it was now. It may have even been Bibby. Didn't get called for a foul late in the game, and Robert Ory made ridiculous threes. And I mean, those those Kings teams were good. But I mean, that's that's a long time ago now. That's like 15 years ago. I mean, the Kings are a complete joke. They're irrelevant. And so DeMarcus Cousins, while he is a ridiculously talented player, I think he's, well, we'll go to the Google later. He's got, he's, he's definitely in the top five scoring in the NBA. He's a double-double machine. He's a 20, 20 and 10 guy, easy. And cares, wants to win, you know, he's one of these guys that says, has to has to mature. And listen, a lot of his shenanigans on the court are, are unseemly. I agree. But the problem is, Vlade Divac came out and said, hey, we're not trading him. And then he traded him. Okay, that happens all the time. But then he came out a day later and said, well, we let a better offer go two days before... And I didn't want to have the offers keep getting worse. And I made the decision that, you know, essentially what he said is it's addition by subtraction, which he's entitled to have that opinion. 
people are killing him for trading DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, you know, I don't think trading, you know, he's entitled to have the opinion that sometimes there is such a thing as addition by subtraction. And if he felt that his bad attitude permeated the rest of the team and made it, you know, untenable, then you trade the guy. But they got nothing back for him. They got a first-round pick and Buddy Heald, who is, you know, could turn into a good NBA player. Who knows? He's a shooting guard from Oklahoma, had a, had a very good college career, has struggled mightily in his rookie year in the NBA, which happens to a lot of guys. So, I mean, I'm not ready to give up on a guy yet because he can't play. Um, and maybe he'll turn into an above-average NBA two-guard. Maybe. But there's certainly no evidence right now that says, makes you think he's certainly not a lock. It's a big question mark. So the track record right now of guys uh, in front offices in the NBA who, who were players and had very little experience doing that job uh, is not good. And the other problem the NBA has is, you know, see, baseball is extremely unique because it's a long season. And for better or worse, the, the, the postseason has almost nothing to do with the regular season, right? Because if you're a team that has a couple of really good starters, even one or two good starters, you know, you, you know, oftentimes teams with the best record do not end, uh, don't win the World Series, right? I mean, you look at you know, look at two thousand and six, the Cardinals won the World Series and won eighty three games that year. Right, beat the Mets. They had no business beating the Mets. The Mets were a better team, but the Mets got hurt down the stretch. All the starting pitchers were gone. Right, Pedro got hurt. El Duque got hurt. They had to start Oliver Perez in Game Seven. I mean, you know, so stuff happens. It's such a long season. It's just a slog and a grind. And very often it comes down to you know you get one or two hot bats in the lineup, and if you have two you know starting pitchers that are lights out, doesn't matter what you did in regular season. Chances are you're going to get past your opponent. NBA's not like that. NBA's a long season too, 82 games. But generally, the teams with the best record are the teams that end up in the conference finals. And never more so than now because there's, in the West, you've got Golden State, maybe San Antonio, maybe Houston, and that's it. And then you've got, in the East, the Celtics, Maybe Toronto, although now Kyle Lowry's out for the rest of the regular season with a broken wrist, so that hurts them, and who knows what he'll be like when he comes back. You know, broken wrist is not nothing, particularly for a guard. And then maybe the Wizards, although they haven't, they didn't do, to me that was a team that desperately needed to do something at the trade deadline to improve their bench. They've got a very good starting five, but their bench is very weak. You know. And that's it. I mean, the East... The East is basically, you know... How many games is Cleveland going to win? How many games is LeBron going to play the last 15? You're going to rest him. Right? I mean, no Kevin Love. Look, they picked up Derek Williams. Good pickup. Good bench... Good guy to come off the bench and score. They're going to get Deron Williams... Former star point guard, who certainly, while he's not the player he used to be, you know, if that's that, if he's your backup point guard. That's pretty good, but you know, he's probably not going to have to play that much anyway because Kyrie Irving's having a great year. But if Kyrie Irving would get hurt, like he did a couple of years ago, or he's having an off night, or he's in foul trouble, and you got to go with Darren Williams, 
You're going to have a lot worse options. And they just they traded for Kyle Korver before the trading deadline. He's still a great spot of three-point shooter. I mean, Cle- Cleveland's, Cleveland's fine. <laughs> they have no issues. But that's it. So, I mean, it's like a foregone conclusion, the playoffs, already in the NBA. And look, there's some teams having some nice some nice storylines. Russell Westbrook talked about him before. He continues to be tremendous. I'm going to see if he's still averaging, averaging a triple-double. I want to go back to the Wizards real quick, though. You've got John Wall averaging 22 points, almost 23 points a game, and 10 assists, almost 11 assists. You got Bradley Beal, their two guard, averaging 22 points a game. Markeith Morris, their power forward, averages 14 and, and 7. Otto Porter Jr., their small forward, 14 and 7. And then their center's giving you 11 and 11. I mean, that's a pretty damn good starting five. And the problem is they don't have much coming off the bench. Now, they got Boyan Bogdanovich from the Nets, who's a good shooter, but he's not, not, not going to move the needle, he's not a difference maker. They might pick up Brandon Jennings, who the Knicks recently just the Knicks just cut yesterday, the day before, whatever. He's you know he's a perfect second team point guard. If you have a second team that wants to run, he likes to play up tempo. But they, they just don't have enough. I mean, they could give they, they might give Cleveland some fits and make him go six games because if all five of those guys have a good game in the same you know in the same game. Yeah, there'd be a tough out, but over a seven-game series, you have to have some kind of a bench. Particularly against LeBron and the, and the Cavs. So, but hold on. I want to go back to Boogie Cousins here for a second and see what he is doing. So he got traded to... Where did he go? New Orleans. All right, if, if I look at the stats, are they going to give me... His season stats are going to give me like the three games he's playing with. Yeah, probably, right? They're going to give me ESPN.com. Now, he's averaging 23 points a game and 12.7 rebounds and 4.7 assists, by the way, and 1.3 blocks as a center. That's pretty damn good. I mean, the guy's a hell of a player. Oh, no. Well, those are... So, hold on. Those are, those are his stats only with the Pelicans. Let me see what they are. For the whole season. My bad. I need to check that out. Let's see. For the whole season, for this season here, he has averaged, let's see, give it to me. Oh boy, these numbers are just atrocious. Are you kidding me? Here we go. 27 points a game. And 10 rebounds. 27.8 points, 10.6 rebounds, uh, 4.8 assists. Yeah. And, you know, a little over, just under a block and a half a game. I mean, that's tremendous. The guy's a tremendous player. But getting back to my larger point about the NBA, it's just, it's just not that exciting. It's a long season, and you already know halfway through the year who's pretty much going to be in the finals. I mean, you look at a team like Utah, right? And Utah's having a very nice year. They, got, they have some good players on that team. Right? They got uh, Gordon Hayward's turned into a star. A star. 
Jazz are 37 and 22. They're currently fourth in the in the Western Conference. They're having a really nice year. Who's their coach? Oh, Watson? Let me know who their coach is. I'm supposed to know this stuff, aren't I? I'm doing a sports show for crying out loud. Um, anyway, let's see. Gordon Hayward is having a hell of a year. He is averaging 22.5 points a game, five rebounds, three and a half assists. He's a small forward. And his shooting percentage, shooting 47% from the field, 39 from three, and 86 from the line. Tremendous. Tremendous. They've got a center that a lot of people don't know about. Rudy Gobert, Frenchman. Great nickname, the Stifle Tower. Averaging 13 points. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. 13 points. 12, basically 13 rebounds a game and two and a half blocks a game. He's, he's this generation's Mark Eaton, basically. If anybody out there remembers Mark Eaton on those Stockton Malone teams. Back in the 80s, early 90s. Defensive-minded center. I mean, but 13 points a game is still pretty good if you're a defensive-minded center, particularly in today's NBA, where there's hardly any more real centers. Most of these guys, you know, linger out by the three-point line and, and chuck up threes. So, you know, they're having a nice year. George Hill, they got from the, the, from the Pacers. He's having a very good year. He's averaging 17 points a game. Point guard. So, I mean, they're, they're having a nice year, but... I mean, what's Utah doing? They're not making the finals. Maybe they went around in the playoffs. You know, baseball, once the postseason starts, then it's, 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 open. It's, it's up for grabs. And I understand football's not necessarily like that. But football's, you know, 16 games, not 82 games. So each week in and of itself is important in the NFL. You know, NBA, I mean, these games on a Wednesday night in the middle of February, who cares? They're meaningless. It's a problem. Now, you know, it's a problem, I think, for the diehard fan. For the casual fan, it's not because you've got stars like LeBron, who's on, you know, the best team in the East. You've got stars like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, who are all on the Warriors in the West. And then you've got Russell Westbrook, who's having a tremendous season for Oklahoma City, but they're not going anywhere either. They made a nice move. They picked up Taj Gibson and, and Doug McDermott from, from the Bulls. Uh, Ennis Cantor is back from his broken hand after he's punched a chair like a knucklehead. But they're not going to, you know, they, they can't beat the Warriors. The Clippers are a joke. I mean, the Clippers. Does any team think they're better more than the Clippers? I understand they have injuries. They always have injuries. Chris Paul's always hurt, or Blake Griffin's always hurt. I mean, it's time for the Clippers to turn the page. I mean, they, yes, at their best, they're exciting. What's their record now? They're 36 and 23. You know, I watched them the other night. I mean, against, uh, who are they playing? Charlotte, who's not very good, by the way. Uh, after it looked like Charlotte was going to turn the corner this year, they've got some good young players led by Kemba Walker, point guard. Uh, they've had a complete free fall and are now nine games under 500 at 25 and 34. 
there was a time when uh, that record was much better early in the year. Kind of like the Knicks, who were 14 and 10 and are now 24 and 36. Think about that. Knicks were 14 and 10. That means they're 10 and 26 in their last 36 games. And they're talking about still trying to make the playoffs. I mean, please. So, I mean, you know, again, going back out west, you know, none of these teams are really threat. The only two, again, would be the Spurs. A couple of reasons. One, they have the best player in the NBA. Nobody talks about Kawhi Leonard. They've got the best coach in the NBA. Or one of them, take your pick, Greg Popovich. And just organizationally speaking, the Spurs, I mean, the Spurs, think about the run that the Spurs have had. Right? They won the title. They beat the Knicks in, what was that, 99? Yeah. They've been a factor every single year. Right? In the finals, win the finals, conference finals. I mean, they're, they're there every single year. An extremely well-run organization. One of the best-run organizations in all of sports. Forget about the NBA. And you got Kawhi Leonard averaging... 25.8 points, just under six rebounds a game, a little over three assists a game, just under two steals a game. He's a tremendous defensive player. He's awesome. Marcus Aldridge is a really good player. The rest of the team is okay. Pau Gasol, not the player he used to be. Tony Parker, same thing. Ginobili, old. I mean, you know, they've got a decent bench. David Lee, former Knicks, a good bench player for them. Patty Mills. A point guard. I mean, you know, again, the Spurs are classic. The Suns better than the whole of the parts. I mean, they, they're, they're, you know, listen, they've got one of the top five players in the NBA, top coach, great organization. You never count them out. But they're not better than the Warriors. Yet, there they are, 45 and 13. Warriors are 50 and 9. And then you've got Houston of 42 and 19, who a good story this year, Mike D'Antoni, resurrected, exciting brand of basketball. James Harden remade his game after Dan. We talked about it before. D'Antoni, you know, made him the point guard. Seemed counterintuitive at the time. How do you take a guy who's the biggest bull hog in the league and making him point guard? Meanwhile, yeah, here you go. He averaged 30 and 10 in the month of February. 30 points, 10 assists. It's pretty pretty impressive. And for the season, and I know I did this earlier, probably about a month ago, he's averaging 28 points and 8 assists. No, sorry, 28 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds. I mean, that's just, um, that's tremendous. He's a point guard. Now, granted, he's a big point guard. He's about 6'5", but nevertheless. And that's like Magic Johnson type numbers right there. In fact, though, I don't think Magic, Magic never averaged any 28 points a game. That's for sure. And then they just picked up Lou Williams from the Lakers, who's one of the is he will be the sixth man of the year this year in the NBA. Great scorer. You know, we've got Eric Gordon, guys can score when he's healthy, but he's rarely, you know, never makes it through a, a full season. Ryan Anderson. One guy on that team's interesting is Clint Capella, their center. Averaging 12.75 rebounds, young player emerging. Trevor Ariza, former Nick, playing well for them. Patrick Beverly is a good defensive point guard, comes off the bench. Nene. Comes off the bench, Sam Decker, second-year kid out of Wisconsin. I mean, it's a pretty good team. Now, you know, you could give them a chance maybe against Golden State, 
the only thing that's going to beat Golden State, you need a guy like Harden to have a transcendent series, right, where he just goes off. And then you need Curry and or Thompson to go ice cold. So the problem is, is that that could happen, they could still win because they still have Durant and Draymond Green. So the Warriors are going to be an extremely tough out. So, you know, while there's a lot of chatter about in the NBA this year, the trade deadline, no big trades really went down, except for DeMarcus Cousins getting traded, and it was a terrible trade for Sacramento. They didn't get nearly enough back for him. And it's a good trade for the Pelicans, because it pairs him with his former college teammate, Anthony Davis, to form a potentially extremely formidable front court with the two of those guys there. Because Anthony Davis, even though he's 6'11", he can do kind of everything. He can play... You know, in the paint, out of the paint. And actually, Cousins can do the same thing, too. So, it'll be interesting to see... You know, look, they don't have enough players on that team. They don't have a point guard, really. Drew Holiday, eh, he's okay. He's dealt with some, some tough off-the-court stuff. His wife uh, had a major medical issue, but I think she's going to be okay now. But, you know, they just don't have enough players right now. But they've got two really good pieces. It'll be interesting to see if they make a coaching change. Or if they keep Alvin Gentry there, um, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to make that work with those two guys. And then finally, just, you know, we'll finish the NBA out real quickly with the Knicks. You know, listen, James Dolan is the problem. He's always been the problem. Ever since he's gotten there, he's basically been a circus. They're an embarrassment. Except for a decent year a couple years ago where they lost in the second round the playoffs to, to the, the Pacers. Other than that season, they've been irrelevant and or an embarrassment. The, the Isaiah Thomas years were beyond embarrassing. Stephon Marbury, the, uh, Annika Brown-Sanders, sexual harassment, uh, debacle. Uh, James Dolan to this day insisting that they were innocent even though they were found guilty. I mean, it, it just, he's just the worst. Seems like a terrible person. I mean, every anyone you talk to, I've talked. I, I know people that work at Madison Square Garden. It, it is a horrendous place to work. It's a terrible work environment. Everybody's miserable there. All right, not everybody. It's it's a terrible work environment. We'll just put it that way. And. We've said it a lot on this show. You have a bad owner. Everything else has to go right for your team to be successful to overcome bad ownership. And oftentimes, that's impossible to happen because the owner is the one making the decisions. And so that's why you have a clown like James Dolan who hires Isaiah Thomas, who hires Phil Jackson to come here at 70 years old and steal his money and retire. You can't be bothered to get on a plane and go anywhere or do anything or do any work and be able to take his $12 million. Can't be even bothered to have a press conference. Can't be bothered to issue discipline when Derek Rose, without permission, blows off a game and let, 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 leaves the coach holding the bag to answer questions about it. And then they find him. Are you kidding Guys here are basically on a one-year contract, Derrick Rose. He's essentially a mercenary. You brought in here on a trade. The Chicago couldn't wait to get rid of him because they tired of him. 
and the injuries and everything else. You know, I, I can understand if it was a guy like a Patrick Ewing or one of your core stars had been here with the organization and they had a bad day and they had an error or a lapse in judgment and you give them a pass. You say, okay, you know what? Service is rendered. You've given us 10 phenomenal years. We'll give you a pass. You had a bad day. We'll find you, slap on the wrist, and move on. This is Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose means nothing to this Knicks organization. Zero. He should have been suspended for at least a game, at least nothing. There's no accountability in the Knicks organization. None. Except unless you're a former player like Charles Oakley, who's critical of the organization. Then there's plenty of accountability. And listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. It's a while ago. We'll move on. And Oakley certainly didn't do himself any favors by the way he behaved that night. But, you know, Dolan sends over his goon squad over there to pull him out. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't care if he was yelling at Dolan. By the way, if I could afford the ticket that Charles Oakley had, and I was sitting close enough to Dolan, and I had a few adult beverages, they probably would ask me to leave too, because I'd love to give him a piece of my mind. He's the worst. So now there's all this talk, oh, the Knicks are tanking now because they cut Brandon Jennings and there's talk maybe they'll release Derrick Rose because they were going to try to trade him to Minnesota for Ricky Rubio, but then Minnesota backed out at the last second. By the way, smart move, Minnesota. Minnesota, by the way, one of my favorite teams to watch. Even though the record isn't very good, they've got a lot of talent. Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are tremendous. Big blow when Zach Levine, Zach Levine got hurt. But they've got a lot of talent. Up-and-coming team. They're a bit of a disappointment. I thought they'd be a playoff team this year. And they might. They might sneak into the eighth seed. But an, an entertaining team to watch, nonetheless. If you just like watching basketball. But... The Knicks aren't tanking. They're not good enough to tank. They stink. They stink on their own. They don't have to tank. Last night's game, case in point. I didn't watch really any of it. I, I tuned in just at the last minute to watch Carmelo miss uh, another potential game-winning shot. Yes, I know he made one against the Sixers. But apparently Knicks had a 17-point lead. It was 13 points at the half. They blew that. Had a lead late. Blew that again. I mean, they, they make a habit of this. They blow leads like it's their job. And Jeff Hornacek, he seems like a very nice man. That, that's what I'll say about his coaching ability. Seems like a very nice man. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back right after this. here on a Tuesday, a New Order Tuesday. That was Temptation, of course, by New Order. We started the show out with Leave Me Alone by New Order. I'm in a New Order state of mind these days. I started reading a new book by their uh, former bassist, Peter Hook, 
Uh, he had written a book about his time in the, the, the band that preceded New Order, uh, Joy Division, uh, which was a tremendous read, extremely entertaining. Um, and then now he's got a book out about his time when uh, he was in the band New Order. And uh, so far, extremely entertaining. I think if you're a, uh, certainly if you're a fan, fan of the band, you'll find it a good read. Um, and if you're a musician, you'll find it a good read as well because he, he gives you a lot of good insight into how they were able to, uh, how they devised the, uh, the pretty unique sound that they had, the, the combination of, of real instruments and then synthesizers and drum machines and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting. It tells a funny story about it. On some show in like 1984 with Depeche Mode, I think it was like a BBC One show or something like that or Top of the Pops or something like that. And... Um, you know, Depeche Mode came out to, you know, pre-recorded track and basically lip-sync. And lip-synced, I guess? Yeah, lip-synced. <laughs> lip-synced. Jeez, nice nice English. <laughs> lip-synced. And uh, New Order wouldn't, wouldn't do that. That wasn't their thing. They also didn't like to put themselves in videos. They wouldn't put their faces uh, on, the, on their album covers. They, they drove their managers and the, music, and the record company people crazy uh, because they didn't want to do any of that kind of promotional stuff. And probably... That's why Depeche Mode probably ended up being a more popular band here in the U.S. than, than New Order. One of the reasons why. But um, in any event, yeah, and then I guess, you know, basically like Dave Gahan, basically sure, the lead singer of Depeche Mode, sheepishly, you know, he was impressed with New Order, the fact that they actually sang uh, and played their instruments, you know, live. I mean, they might have, to, you know, some of this stuff was pre-recorded, but for the most part, they, they did it live and uh, kind of sheepishly congratulated them and was sort of embarrassed the fact that they themselves didn't. Uh, I just thought it was kind of an interesting tidbit. Um, in any event, I digress. We move on to Major League Baseball with uh, spring training already underway because of the World Baseball Classic and uh, players from various teams going to play for their respective countries that they'll be representing. Um, they started the spring training earlier this year, so the Mets have played, I think, four games already, something like that. We're not even in March. Uh, same for the Yankees. Uh, but specifically, we'll get to David Wright, who, uh, as you know, basically hasn't played, really, for the last two years. Yes, he played some in the World Series year, and he did get the one big hit against the Dodgers in the playoffs that year. Uh, he barely played last year, and the Mets still found a way to make the playoffs without their vaunted captain. See, the thing that drives me crazy about David Wright is the coverage that he gets. He is held up as this symbol of greatness associated with the Mets organization that's just, frankly, not earned. David Wright was a very nice player 10 years ago, 8 years ago. I mean, he and Jose Reyes, yeah, you thought they were going to be the faces of that franchise and they're two cornerstone players for a long time and it's never happened you know he was great in 05 and 06 07 08 put up big numbers was nowhere to be found in 08 down the stretch when the Mets needed him in the worst way and the team was collapsing after the collapse in 07 he was nowhere he was awful he did nothing in the playoffs in 06 against the Cardinals. Invisible. And listen, I understand David Wright conducted himself with grace and class. 
Seems like a good guy. Cares. I get it. But, you know, they act as if the guy, you know, is going to salt mines every day. He's a baseball player makes $25 million a year. And yet the coverage, I mean, even Gary Cohen, who, who generally speaking is, even though he's clearly a Mets fan, is pretty measured. I mean, he rightfully called Daniel Murphy a net negative two years ago. Now, of course, he looks silly saying that because Daniel Murphy had, you know, uh, took, carried over his insane postseason run with the Mets into an MVP-like season for the Nationals last year. Okay, but I agree with Gary Cohn because I watch every damn game and I watch all the stupid stuff Daniel Murphy did. And when you were hitting 285 with 14 home runs and 70 RBIs and making errors in the field and getting thrown out on the bases with dumb base running mistakes that you know little leaguers wouldn't make, yeah, you were net negative. So he was absolutely right to say that. My point is, Gary Cohn usually gets it right, despite the fact he clearly is a Mets fan. But the way, I mean, the, the, the breathless proclamations, oh, David Wright, oh, what a warrior, what a, you know, the captain, you know, they can't, they love everybody on SNY, oh, the captain. Who cares? Captain of what? He was, he was a captain, he, didn't, he, he was not the reason at all that they made the World Series two years ago, it was Cespedes. And the pitching, he had very little to do with that team success. I mean, being a captain of a really bad team, what does that say? Doesn't do much for me. And so now the Mets, like dummies, instead of saying, basically, listen, we are going to move forward this year as if David Wright is not going to play one single game for us. They're like, oh no, he's, he'll be our third baseman. So he had the spinal stenosis, then he had neck surgery last year. He hadn't been able to throw or, or, or make real throws. And by the way, um, even before the neck surgery, or maybe because his neck was hurt or whatever, when he was playing last year, he couldn't throw anymore. Oh, and the play that the Mets lost on the World Series against the Royals, you know why the guy came home from third? Because David Wright lollipopped the ball over to first base. And yes, I understand, dude, it makes a better throw home. The guy's out and out by a lot. The only reason the Royals even tried that is because they had scouted the Mets and they noticed that David Wright lollipops the ball over to first base. So, just whatever. Food for thought. So my point is, as of even going back two years, he couldn't throw anymore. And now he's got the spinal stenosis and the neck surgery. If anything, he said maybe he could play first base. Maybe. Maybe. Which would make some sense, just like his his, his high school buddy uh, Ryan Zimmerman in the Nationals, basically same thing. He was a good third baseman for a while, couldn't throw anymore. He moved him over to first. Now he can't hit anymore, Zimmerman. And Wright probably can't either, by the way. He hasn't been a force offensively in five years. And so it's come out now that he's being shut down again. He's got an impingement in his shoulder, which is... Uh, related to the neck surgery and won't be able to throw. I mean, listen, thankfully Reyes is there. Thankfully, Wilmer Flores is there. Even TJ Rivera. I mean, the Mets should be able, they should be covered at third base. And, you know, I guess what I should, secretly, I think they knew this. And I'm, I'm hoping, anyway, that, that's the, the, that they actually had a plan and that they knew privately 
internally to not expect to get anything from him, but to do him the courtesy because he's been a good soldier, quote-unquote, and the face of the franchise, that you give him every opportunity, maybe, to try to come back. But, I mean, listen, the guy had a nice career. He should do himself. I mean, you know, he just got married. He said a baby. Do, every, do himself and everybody else a favor. Just retire. I know it's hard. I understand he loves playing. I get it. I, I, I know it's, it's not an easy decision. I, I get it. It's what he loves to do. I understand. He's a, he's a person. But, this does not bode well. And I guess, for, I don't know, it just annoys me, the reverence with which he's treated. To me, it's been extremely unearned. Nice guy? Yeah. Good player? Sure. That's about it. You know, they treat him like, uh, you know, like, they, like they've won four World Series with him. And he's won the MVP three times. He's a nice player. The Mets is going to come down to the starting pitchers stay relatively healthy. Can Familia get over, you know, yet another postseason meltdown? And we'll see what happens with his domestic abuse case. Well, the case has been thrown out. No charges were brought. His wife said that he never hit her, that he was yelling and, and was drunk and acting crazy, and he admits to that. He claims he never hit her. She says he never hit him. He never hit her, rather. Um, but that doesn't matter. Major League Baseball is up to their discretion to decide what they want to do from a suspension standpoint. You know, a lot of people are using the role as Chapman incident last year where, yes, he never laid hands on his wife, but he fired a gun up into the air and intimidated her, and he got 30 games. They're using that as a benchmark. I don't know. Maybe he'll get 30 games. Uh, to me, I would think, you know, since there wasn't a gun involved, you'd, you'd make it half, 15, maybe. I don't know. But they give him 30, they give him 30, you want to send a strong message? I have no problem with it. That's fine. Better err on the side of caution. So, you know, the Mets are going to have to figure out the first month of the year, let's say, without their closer. Addison Reed will move into that role, and you got other guys behind him. Everyone, everybody else needs to kind of step up. You know, Mets, Mets should be a good team, team this year They're, if they can be relatively healthy. Cespedes is back in great shape. Michael Conforto is in great shape. Granted, very early, having a great spring so far. Reyes, I think, uh, with a full spring, with the team rejuvenated, happy, comfortable, back where he wants to be. I mean, and listen, the bottom line is the Mets need Reyes to play 140 games because they don't have anybody else on the team that can hit leadoff. Nobody. Maybe Juan Lagares occasionally against a left-handed pitcher. Other than that, they have nobody who can hit leadoff. So he's going to have to play a lot. And I suspect he'll be at uh, third base because as Drupal Cabrera should be the shortstop most of the time, and, you know, he's getting a little older and he's coming off a knee in, uh uh, in the injury last year, even though he gutted it out. You know, so you could certainly see him, Ray is spelling him a few times at shortstop during the season, give him a blow here or there. And you got Neil Walker at second base. 
And he had he was having a very nice year for the Mets last year until he got hurt. Same thing, you know. Reyes should be a super sub. Played probably what 120 games, 100 games at third, 20 at shortstop, 20 at second base. There's your 140. Boom. And finally, you know, it's funny how age does make one wiser. I watched this special on uh, Shaquille O'Neal on ESPN about his time at LSU. Had very little to do with his pro career. It was really pretty much all about his time at LSU and, and, and the, the, the relationship he had with Dale Brown, the coach at LSU, and, and the relationship he still has with Dale Brown to this day. And I remember when Shaq was in college, and I remember being a big fan. I remember that, that team his freshman year that had Stanley Roberts, who was every bit as talented as Shaq was, by the way. I mean, he wasn't quite as physically imposing, but he was a big dude, and he was a more polished player from an offensive standpoint in college than Shaq was. I mean, Shaq didn't have any low post moves in college. Shaq just took the ball and dunked on everybody. That's all he had to do. Um, the Stanley Roberts could have been a really good NBA player. Never really panned out. He had a couple okay years here or there. And then they had Chris Jackson, who was a tremendous player. I think set the record for most points ever scored uh, by a freshman. Um, and they had um, P. Marich went to LSU. So, I mean, that team was tremendous. I remember they played a game against Loyola Marymount. And we went to, I think, two overtimes, and the final score was like 148, 141. I mean, it was crazy. And I remember it was on TV, and I was in college, and I watched it. And I was like, wow, this guy's something else. And was a was a big fan. For whatever reason, when he went into the NBA, boy, did I stop liking Shaquille O'Neal. And I think probably it was because I was a Knicks fan, and he got drafted by the Magic, and the Magic were this upstart expansion team who I didn't take seriously. And, you know, Ewing was starting to kind of reach kind of the... the I wouldn't say the the golden years of his career, but he certainly, you know, look, 92, Patrick's been in the league, what, seven years already? So, you know, he was he was still, he was, he was probably, and, but, you know, Patrick didn't come out early, right? I think he played four years at Georgetown, so he was probably 30 by then. And Shaq, by the way, played three years he stayed at LSU, three Today, that, you know, he would be one and done, which everybody is one and done now. Stayed at LSU for three years and went back and finished his degree in 2000 because he promised his mom he would. But anyway, it was just a really interesting uh, piece on him. So revelatory. I mean, he talked about how the reason he wanted a good foul shooter, he's there with Dale Brown, and this is recent. And Dale Brown's like, yeah, you know, Shaq, I always felt like you know, I, what I tell you freshman year, he told he wanted to shoot underhand like Rick Barrett, right? And Shaq's like, nah, nah, I'm a hip-hop kid. I can't do it. People laugh at me. Uh, so Dale Brown made him, uh, made him uh, a bet, made a deal with him. He said, look, if you shoot, you know, X amount of free throws, I think it was 100 or something like that, and, and you average, or they actually didn't give the number, but he said, if you average 75% in practice, you can keep, keep shooting it overhand. And they said he shot about close to 80% in practice. But Shaq says the reason he wasn't a good foul shooter, and this was unbelievable that he said this. He said, you know what? I, I'm the kind of guy I need everybody to like me. And I see in the game, I miss the first foul shot, and people start, ah, 
Oh, this guy can't make foul shots. And then I miss another one. They say, ah. Oh. And he said, it'll get in my head. That's amazing for a guy who's as good as he was to admit that fans' reaction and kind of his own head is what uh, held him back. Now, look, he's now 40-something years old and guy, you know, he's got several rings and is a first ballot Hall of Famer and whatever. But, I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know too many pro athletes that would admit that. And he was sort of very matter-of-fact about it, too. I mean, very good-natured. So it's just interesting how, you know, in, in, in retrospect, you know, instead of being a knucklehead 23-year-old, however old I was at the time when he came in the league, and appreciating him for who he was, both as a player and as a personality, man, was I anti-Shaq. <laughs> and then certainly when he went to the Lakers later in his career and paired up with Kobe. Although then, when he and Kobe got into the feud, I was on Team Shaq, for sure. Uh, so... Um, and, you know, look, he, he did the Dopey movie, and he did the song with Fushnickens, and, you know, he became a little bit of a brand and all that other stuff. Whatever, it kind of bothered me. Um, but I just, I found this piece, if, you, if, you, if you're flipping around and you see, it's called SEC Story, and it's this story about Shaquille O'Neal when he was at LSU, and how much he uh, appreciates what Dale Brown did for him. And then the other interesting thing is... Is that, you know, his, his father, or his stepfather, or as he says to him, was his real dad, similar to me, similar situation. Uh, Philip Harrison, the guy who was in the military. Um, you know, it was something I could relate to. Shaq didn't have much of a, uh, didn't have any relationship at all with his biological father. And, um, you know, I think his, his, and his, he said in the show, he's my stepdad, but to me, you know, I don't call my stepdad, he's my real dad, and I... I've been saying that for, well, his parents' anniversary is coming up 37 years, so close to 40 years. Um, in any event, so it was just a great piece. It really was. Um, and just what a, I mean, just just a joyous, likable guy, really. Um, you know, he talked about he was a shy kid and, you know, his first couple of years at LSU and he didn't know how to talk to girls. And it was amazing. I mean, you see this. It's Shaq, right? He's larger than life. Uh, and, you know, and also he admitted the first time they played Duke, Christian Leitner completely outplayed him and he admitted it. He's like, look, he said, after that Duke game, I knew I, didn't, I couldn't go to the NBA. I, I had a lot of stuff to work on. I mean, really, you know, a guy really kind of knows himself. It was really impressive. And, you know, you see him now on TNT and he goofs around a lot with Barkley and Ken Smith and Ernie Johnson, whatever. Um... He's actually pretty funny. Uh, I, don't, I don't watch it all that often, but um, I just, he, he was, uh, it was just a really good piece. And I was just really impressed with kind of how seemingly down to earth the guy is. And, and again, doesn't completely, you know, uh, well aware of, of the people in his life that, that helped him and, and helped him get to where he is now. And um, just a really good piece. Well worth the watch. All right, that is it for another edition of Jamal About Sports in the Archives. We'll be back in another week. Until then, peace out.